Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're going to hear from Karen Koenig. Karen is a psychotherapist, international award-winning author of eight books, and a popular blogger. Her books and blogs are known for their humor and practical wisdom. Karen has over 30 years of experience in the field of eating psychology, teaching chronic dieters and emotional binge and overeaters to become normal eaters through a non-diet, non-weight-focused approach to eating intuitively and creating joyous, healthy, meaningful lives. In the episode, Karen shares tips for controlling your thoughts so that you can break out of compulsive, emotional, or restrictive eating behaviors, mistakes most people make when trying to lose weight, how to become a normal eater, and more. Before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store. That is until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since they deliver groceries directly to your door, Thrive cuts out all middle people and heavily discounts their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash Thrive Market, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Karen. Enjoy. Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Health Investment Podcast. I am delighted to be here. I'd love if you could start out by sharing a bit about your background and specifically what led you to become a psychotherapist, and then to specialize in the field of compulsive, emotional, and restrictive eating. I was an um, overeater as a child, and uh, my mom took me to the chubby department when they had those things. Today, that would be politically incorrect to do. And, um, I, you know, I dieted in high school, and but then I developed a, a problem with bulimia for about a year. Uh, went to therapy, read a lot of books um, way back in the 80s. And around 1980, I started to become a normal eater. Um, I stopped weighing myself, just on my food. Um, and then I decided I wanted to be a psychotherapist, went back to social work school, went to Simmons, 
and wanted to specialize in um, the field of eating disorders, at least part of the end of it. Um, I've been a, a normal eater for um, half a lifetime, and uh, I love what I do. That's awesome. I can't wait to dive into what you mean by a normal eater, too, because I think that's a very cool way to think about it. And I think a lot of people can relate, especially people with a history of, you know, the yo the yo-yo dieting, weight loss roller coaster, whatever you want to call it. In your book, Words to Eat By, well, actually, that book was referenced to me by an obesity medicine specialist during a previous interview, which is how I found out about you. When you say words to eat by, I love that. And I've never heard that before. What do you mean? To me, it all starts with the self-talk in your head. Um, here's an example. I went to a friend of mine had a, she makes jewelry, vegan. So she went, we went to a show and you walk in and to the right is a little table with food. And I go with my friends and it was as if there was a chorus. All of them said, I know I shouldn't eat this, but, you know, so we don't even realize we say things like that. And then, so those are the out loud words, but the words in our head, uh, what we tell ourselves about food and our bodies, those are what manifest into behaviors, into how we act. So we don't have the right words, we don't eat the way that is really best for our bodies. Hmm. I've heard it described before as TFAR. Have you heard of TFAR? It's like thoughts, feelings, actions, results. And so, so most people kind of focus on the latter half of the actions and the results, but not the thoughts and feelings that precede the actions and so kind of diving into what are the thoughts you're having then what are you feeling and then that's kind of leading to the behaviors or the actions you're taking and the results you're getting what do you do then if you have that thought i shouldn't be eating this i mean what how can you kind of work through that um before i answer that i i want to say that i started out as a cognitive behavioral therapist so it was always about thoughts to me. Mm. Um, and then I opened it up. I do other kinds of things. But um, so here, here's an example of how I work. So somebody says, well, I shouldn't do it. And I'm having either, in, uh, you know, in-person meeting with them or um, teletherapy. And as soon as they say should, I do this. Mm. I keep it right here in front of me. And you're holding um, up a want sign for those who yes. can't see the video. Okay, want. Interesting. Right. So um, I don't believe in shoulds and shouldn'ts. I don't believe in need to, have to, ought to, all the cousins of those words. I believe in desire, wish, want, would like, prefer. Hmm. There's a big difference. And I'll have a client say, um, I should do this or, or I want to do it. We do what we want and should is a shame-based word. So I do a lot of work about mm. that um, and um, they'll correct themselves as they, you know, get, get to work with me. They'll say, I should, oh, I, yeah. I meant I want to, because it feels different. Mm. Uh, the only thing we need to do in life, 
she should comes from need to is die. Other than that, it's optional with consequences. Hmm. So, so you would reframe the, I shouldn't eat this candy. How, how would you reframe that using the word want instead? Um, I, I want to eat this candy. Um, is this really what I want right now? Will I eat it mindfully? Did I have a lot of candy today? Um, but not from a, a pejorative place. Um, sometimes we want, uh, um, I say to clients, sometimes we want a brioche and sometimes we want broccoli. It, it, it's not a bad thing to want candy. Mm-hmm. So should is external. It's called an external motivator, like those other words I ought to, I'm supposed to. Um, we want internal motivators. And those are words like desire, wish, um, want, prefer. Hmm. So it's making it very, um, very ours. Yeah, it, I once heard, and this could be similar or different, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you say can't or kind of should, it kind of takes the power away from you and you feel like you're doing it for someone else or it feels powerless. But then I heard this mindset shift or this language shift, I guess, of using the word don't. So for example, I used to be a teacher and I taught on the fourth floor and I thought to myself, man, I really should take the stairs every day. And then I would tell myself, oh, you can't take the elevator because you should take the stairs. But it just felt like I didn't want to ever take the stairs. But then I heard this language shift of don't. If you say I don't take the elevator and then add a because even so because it'll be good for me to kind of move my body in the middle of the day and get my heart rate pumping and it'll give me more energy. And so once I did that, I would just show up every day and I would just remind myself I don't take the elevator because it feels really good to take the stairs. And then I just never took the elevator again. And I had to remind myself for a while. But is it kind of that type of thinking where you feel more powerful with your language rather than somebody saying you can't do something or you should do something? Um, Yes. Don't. Won't. I won't. Um, I choose. I don't choose. Um, but even when you say, you know, when you use the word people, it's words like should involve other people. We learned somewhere or culture. And um, it has to be our choice. We will always make it our choice. So why not make it in a positive way and own it to empower it? Mm-hmm. Do something and feel resentful, shame, shamed, or or guilty, and that's what really eating disorders are all about: becoming mm-hmm. our own person and listening to ourselves. And sometimes it's doing what others want. Okay, sometimes it isn't equally okay. Mm. What about if somebody thinks my thoughts are too powerful, or this wouldn't work for me because? my thoughts are just all controlling. I'm sure you hear that sometimes of, oh, that works for other people, but that can't work for me and my thoughts. What do you say to that person? And then I, well, I blog a lot. I mean, I have, you know, 1700 blogs. Um, and uh, so almost always after a session, I'll say, uh, I'll send a bunch of blogs um, to uh, to the client. So, um I would send uh, a blog about that. And um, 
encourage them to think in a growth mindset, not a fixed mindset. Um, other people have done it. Why can't I? As opposed mm-hmm. to I can't do it. I mean, you know, if you tell yourself I can't do it, you can't, you won't. That, that's that's the expression. If you say you can't, you can't. Right. Whatever you believe, it's true type of thing. <laughs> right. Right. And you're so right, Brooke, that they want people want to work on their actions and what's tangible. And um, so it's it's having a different mindset of my thoughts are the engine of whatever happens hmm. and change your thoughts and everything changes. Yeah. Can you explain the growth and fixed mindset that you just mentioned? Because I love, I love well, hearing about that. Um, it's not mine. I can't remember who it is. Yeah, I've heard it as well. Yeah. Psychotherapist <laughs> 10, 20 years ago, maybe even more. Um, that fixed means that's it. This is your brain. Get used to it. It's not changing no matter what you do. Growth is, it can be different. I, I can change my brain. And it's believing it that's the vehicle that gets you there. Or sometimes I'll say to clients, oh, okay, there's 8 billion people in the world and 7,009, you know, all the way up. All of them can do it, but you can't. You know, it sort of puts it in perspective. Um, well, why can't? Um, mm-hmm. And um, so it, it is, so fixture growth makes a huge difference. Yeah, that's a good point. I I heard that once in terms of, building a business or really anything, if there's one other person out there who's done it, then rather than comparing yourself and thinking, oh man, they could do it. I can't use that as proof that if one other person has done it, then it's possible for you to do it as well. And probably way more than one other person have done it. So yes. Yes. I know you're a compulsive, emotional and restrictive eating specialist. And I'd love if you could explain what are the differences between those three types of eaters or how can we kind of know if we fall into one of those categories? Well, restrictive is um, usually weight based. And I don't mean restrictive if you have food sensitivities or food allergies, but um, it's usually weight based. And, you know, you say no, because it's it's a bad food, which leads into a hut. There are no good or bad. Good and bad are moral terms. There are more nutritious and less nutritious, as you know from your professional background, right? But they're not good or bad. So um, thinking of, you know, restrictive is just saying no to yourself based on weight or thinking you can't eat bad foods. Compulsive and emotional um, it can be both. You can be, you know, either. Um, some people just eat no matter what. They're just, they get home, they eat. It's not about emotions, it's habits. Mm-hmm. And those people usually, um, you know, may have a little OCD in other ways. But um, emotional is, I feel I eat. You know, there's no period in between. It's just one run-on sentence. And it's um, damaging to our emotions as much as to our health. Because we don't, feelings tell us all about life. That's what they're there for. They're information like texts and uh, faxes. Um, That's all they are. 
So we know where we are vis-a-vis vis-a-vis the environment. So if you're not feeling, you're feeling, you're not going to have the life that you want to serve. Mm. I know there's a lot of advice out there about emotional eating on social media, news headlines, blogs, like you write yourself. What, where would you say traditional advice about emotional eating goes wrong? Um, the eating part, not the emotion. Hmm. Um, there are a couple of things that we can do with emotions. And one is to know you have one, observe it. Just be aware. Whoa, I have a feeling. Wow, cool. And then identify it, give it a name. Um, her name, but a very famous TED Talk professor. Mm, it'll come to me. Uh, she uh, she's at the University of Texas Texas School of Social Work. She did this research that said people have three feelings. That's all they can identify: happy, sad, and mad. Hmm. You know, there is a whole range of feelings. And so the second thing is to identify what you're feeling. The third, so it's yeah, observe it, uh, acknowledge it. This is mine. Identify it, label it, and then decide what you want to do with it. If someone died 26 years ago and you're sad, there's not much you can do. Honor them, just feel the feeling. Some, if, uh, uh, somebody um, steals your homework, but you have that feeling of that's not fair and do something about it. Hmm. It, it, it's, we try to simplify it. You know, we want one feeling at a time. Don't confuse me. The minute we have two feelings, you head for the cookie jar. It's like we have mixed feelings all the time. So mm-hmm. you hold both of them. So there's a lot of um, learning to do about the point of emotions. Right. What if the emotion is stress and somebody identifies as a stress eater, which I think is very common. Mm-hmm. How do you approach helping them kind of break out of that stress eating pattern? Um, again, going back to the stress part, not eating. And what people perceive, a lot of times people will say they're stressed when they're just busy. <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of what life is, unless you're a hermit. I don't know, yeah. maybe have busy lives, but, <laughs> you know, um, busy is different than stress. Um, so it's, again, what we tell ourselves. And then I have clients who come in, they'll sit on the couch. Oh, my God, I am so overwhelmed. I am overwhelmed. I'm just at the limit reinforcing and telling their brains, be overwhelmed, be overwhelmed. Hmm. So if we say to ourselves, gee, I'm busy and I can manage this, Hmm. then we might not eat. I mean, we might not feel as stressed. Mm -hmm. So it's what you mean by stress, but many people just live at that level all the time. Mm -hmm. And then they don't have it. They don't have deadlines. They don't have things to do. They get panicky, bored, so they eat. Mm. So there's stress is also um, complex, stress and stress eating. Um, It's learning new ways to deal with feeling pressured. Yeah. I said, if there were no food in the world, no such thing, what would you do? You know, people say, 
I would take a nap. I'd read a book. I'd walk the dog. I'd take a walk. Well, and pretend there's no such thing as food because it's not appropriate for stress. It's interesting. Yeah, I love that. I also, I've never heard that reframe before of if you're constantly telling yourself you're stressed and overwhelmed, you're going to be stressed and overwhelmed. But I love the reframe of I'm busy, but then adding the, but I've got this, you know, I can kind of tackle this. And then it's not that you're trying to go to different outlets for the constant stress or overwhelm you feel. It's just kind of I'm busy. And the focus maybe is more on then what kind of systems can I put in place to help with my busyness rather than let me just grab for food because I just feel so overwhelmed and stressed and there's nothing I can do. Again, it's about the power, right? If you feel like you have power versus if you feel powerless. I think we can do two things. We can either change ourselves or change the system. Maybe the system is family. It's stressing you. I put that in quotes or work or community, or no matter what. So very often we change both. We change the way we look at it. But sometimes feeling stress all the time may mean your boss is expecting too much of you. Or your kids are getting too much of your attention and perhaps would like to do some more on their own. Um, So it's knowing where the stress is and what you can do about it. And most of the time we can do nothing we can do something, which may only be changing how we think. Have you found kind of an uptick of people feeling stressed by work demands after COVID since more people are working from home and they're kind of expected to be on and responding to emails at all times of day? I have not, and I could be the only therapist and I know, found that People are particularly or have been particularly stressed by COVID. I had one client whose son was home from school. He tended towards acting out anyway, so it's hard to tell. But, um, and she was, of course, stressed because he was home all the time. She was uh, doing graduate school online. But um, uh, I I haven't really seen a lot more of it. Just the, the problems that my client have, they have more than... Know, whether there's COVID or not. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. But then again, maybe that's something because I think that news headline kind of perpetuated that everybody's more stressed now because of COVID. So then everybody started thinking they're more stressed. And then you're saying maybe it's the same level, but you're just kind of telling yourself that story. Yes. Um, and, and I think we just are so used to using that word. Yeah. The, it, you know, was it? stressful to wear a mask i don't know that it was stressful we always just use that word for everything i think when things are different and uncomfortable and we don't have control immediately we call it stress Hmm. and so i go back to what do you have control over Mm -hmm. you know back to the empowerment you were talking about within you Mm -hmm. right you can't do all these things anymore Right. You know, and what can you still do? Right. I talk with clients a lot about that. If they say, for example, I'm going to my in-laws house and I can't control anything because, you know, I don't control what they make. I don't control what they buy. And then just pausing of that story of I don't control anything. Is that actually true? And just kind of constantly 
asking, is that true? What can you control? You could control if you go for a walk, you could control how much water you drink, you can control amounts of things you put on your plate. Like there is still so much you can control. And so if you focus on that versus there's nothing I can control, it's just all about the power, it seems like. Just kind of taking back the power and feeling in control any way you can. And even in terms of overwhelm and stress, just I'm busy, but I've got this. What can I control or what can I say no to so that I have more space? I had another um, therapist on a while ago and she was saying, you know, everybody's out there trying to manage their stress by adding all these things, meditation and baths and reading and going to bed earlier. And then you just create a longer list. And she said, what if you just take a step back and ask what can I say no to, or what can I take out and to create more space? And that was this light bulb moment for me because I was like, that's so true. We're in this culture now where we just add, add, add. You ever said to yourself, I can't do that. Now I got to meditate. You yeah. know, we go into it with that attitude of one more thing to do, um, which is how a lot of clients feel about exercise. Mm -hmm. One more thing to do. It's, maybe because we call it exercise. You know, when I was growing up, it was just go ride your bike, go, you know, roller skate, go do something. Yeah. Um, something active with your body. Um, the other thing I was thinking of when you were saying that is that all or nothing. Either yeah. I'm very stressed or I'm not, you know, I have nothing to do. Um, I do it the best way, a perfectionist or I'll fail. There's, so much of that in thinking of just dysregulated eaters. Right. When you were talking about compulsive eaters, so somebody who just kind of eats, it's not so much about, it sounds like the emotional eating, it's just kind of a compulsion. What are some strategies if somebody identifies as that to kind of help break out of the compulsive eating pattern? Um, one of the good ones from um, Janine Roth, who was sort of one of the early pioneers of writing about uh, uh, dysregulated eating. I think it was hers, you know, on the refrigerator, on your cabinets, you know, what are you here for? Do you really want this? Um, to get you to think. Um, and it's a, it works well to put them, um, put that on particular foods, hmm. you know. Um, and just being more attuned, you know, why am I doing this? Why everything? We want to know. We want to live intentionally. So I talk about what's your intention, and then you have to pay attention to mm. get to the intention to make, make it work. Um, so asking ourselves, having a discussion, talking to ourselves, we're so estranged from ourselves. Um, and there's so much you run into this too, probably codependence mm -hmm. of well, they want me to. So I'll ask a client, well, well how, you know, how, how was Thanksgiving? Well, mom, da, 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 da. She's not here. I'm asking you. <laughs> so we're always talking about other people, worried about how other people will think. And I think a lot of kids early on just disconnect from self. So it's relearning to make that connection for life of, do I want? What do I think? How do I feel? To mm -hmm. me, those things are just terribly exciting to find out. Right. 
there's kind of two schools of thought on this next idea, and I'd love to hear where you fall. There are some kind of intuitive eating experts, emotional eating experts who say, keep all of your favorite foods around and learn how to enjoy them in moderation. And then there are other habit change experts like James Clear comes to mind. He wrote Atomic Habits and he says, design an environment that's supportive of the goals you want to reach. So make sure your environment is serving you. So for example, if chocolate chip cookies are my ultimate favorite, maybe keeping them out of my home and planning to enjoy them outside of my home for special occasions. But then other people are saying, no, keep chocolate chip cookies around all the time because then you need to desensitize yourself to them and have them around and learn how to enjoy them in moderation. Where do you kind of fall on those that idea? Well, to be what I call an intuitive eater, which is, you know, not my word. It's um, from Evelyn Chipotle, uh, Elise Reich. Um, uh, ideally, you're comfortable with all foods. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I was going to write a blog about not calling things treats. I mean, you have Reese's peanut butter cups and you have an egg. What do you want to put in your body right now? What what is going to feel good in your body today? What maybe Reese's peanut butter cup and maybe the egg. So um, ideally, I would like my clients to be comfortable with all foods and, and learn to eat in the way you described in the former situation. Mm-hmm. That said, I encourage clients to try that. Try what works. Mm-hmm. without making food bad. I mean, see, the, my problem with, you know, keeping them out of the house, it makes them special again. Mm-hmm. I guess I just don't believe in that concept of good or bad or special. It's just a different kind of food. And if you take power away from it, it's not going to get up and jump in your mouth. <laughs> you still have to go to it and take it. So... You know, if that's the best a client can do and it works for them for health, again, not for weight loss, not, not that there's anything wrong with weight loss, but um, I, I guess that would be fine. Um, I'm just I'm not I'm not that big on the, those kinds of rules because mm-hmm. yeah. I think people rebel against them. They work for a while and then they stop. Right. Speaking of weight loss, what would you say is the biggest mistake or maybe multiple mistakes people are making when trying to lose weight? Well, the reason they're trying, um, and this, I have really evolved with this and I've written about it. Um, when weight loss is our goal, rather than eating differently, we've got things backwards. Eating is the locomotive. This is not original. I don't remember where I heard it. I'm, uh, weight is the caboose. Huh. Eating drives what we weigh for the most part. That said, there have been studies, many studies, and we've learned so much since, you know, I started recovering, which was in that, um, oh gosh, maybe 1980. It was 
working on recovery. Um, about two people can eat the same thing and one will gain more weight than the other. I mean, our bodies are different. So, um, it, and I don't think you can say to a client, don't focus on, on weight. Um, if weight is important, don't, but it can't be the reason because it drives rebound eating, weight cycling. So, um, I'm more about the body. If you're eating less and healthier, generally people lose. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned talk, you're eating like a normal person. And I know you write a lot about this. What do you mean by that? Because I, I love it. <laughs> well, I always put normal in quotes. Um, it's eating mostly when you're hungry. Now, if you're going to some conference and you're not going to have access to food, yes, you're going to probably want to eat a little more before, you know, bulk up. Um, I know if I've had surgery, you can't eat after midnight. I don't want to be hungry all the next day. I eat a lot the day before. Yeah. <laughs> so for the most part, eat when you're hungry, which means not when you're, quote, stressed, not when you're um, uncomfortable emotionally. Choose foods you enjoy. Not good, bad. Um, if you don't like all vegetables, find the ones that you do like. Um, really enjoy food. I, I went to a 75th birthday party and ended with this woman said, let's, everybody wants cake. And I thought, I had looked at the cake. I thought to myself, I don't want that cake. <laughs> that cake does not interest me. Um, yeah. And so this idea that you make up your mind what you want. Uh, eat mindfully. Used to just call it consciously before mindful eating came in. Um, pay attention to hunger. Are you still hungry? How does it taste? How does it taste? Are you still hungry? Are you full yet? Slow down. Chew your food. All those things about my hunger. Stop when you're full, which is quantity. Satisfied, which is uh, quality. Uh-huh. And you ideally want both, but you want to always get both. So it's a general framework. I, I will say that my husband eats two large meals a day. I don't like to be full because of my binge days. I don't like to be hungry because of my diet days. I eat every couple hours. So both are normal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He'll have a container of yogurt. There'll be a little left and I'll say, what happens? I was full. Mm. So really being in touch with your body. Again, back to who are you serving? You're serving yourself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's a, such a good point. Yeah, the normal in quotes, because there isn't one normal. It's normal for you. And so I eat breakfast usually. My husband doesn't. I mean, there's nothing wrong with either of us. It's just what's working right now yes. for us. Yeah. Your preference. And... Some people really don't want breakfast. Right. Um, they would say, have fruit for breakfast. I don't like fruit anymore. I love it in the afternoon and evening. I don't like anything sweet. Uh-huh. But chocolate late at night while I'm watching TV? Sure. <laughs> but I, I like it. I mean, I close my eyes. I just enjoy it. Swoon. And I'm done. Uh-huh. Yeah. What about some of the thoughts that normal eaters have versus dieting thoughts? 
Uh, they don't think in terms of good, bad, we cover that because those are moral issues. Um, they trust their bodies. They respect their bodies. Um, they don't think about food. Oh, I, here I am again. I always hear from all the foodies. You know, food <laughs> is not the most special thing in the world. It isn't. It's it's just food. It tastes good sometimes, and it's nourishing. Mm-hmm. The end of story. And I know other people feel differently. Um, and I know normal leaders who cook and love to cook and love to eat, and they'll have something and they'll eat half the food on their plate, even though they loved it. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, like you say, it's, it's different for everyone. Right. I think, too, as you're talking, it's just not thinking that there have to be rules. So, for example, that you have to eat breakfast, that you have to have fruit at breakfast. Or the other day, I just posted a video of I was eating a small little bowl of leftovers for a snack. You know, it doesn't have to be a snack food. Or, I mean, I could have dinner leftovers for breakfast. Just breaking out of these rules that have been told to us of a snack is X. You can have whatever you want for a snack. It could be, you know, bites of what you had left over from breakfast or, you know, a little bit of what you might have for dinner. I mean, it's just, just not, it's so freeing to not have the rules. But I, I call them are just sort of food interactions. I know Mm. it sounds very dry, but (laughs) as we think of meals or snack, I mean, again, we start labeling, this is a meal, but this is a snack and this is a treat. Um, yeah. it, it um, sort of misses, misses the point right. um, of just tuning into your own body and what's available. Yeah, I see a lot of it on social media. I joined TikTok earlier this summer just to kind of see what was going on. Uh, and I'm really enjoying it, actually. And so I post little videos here and there, but I'll post a picture of something that I made because people like, you know, ideas for like, oh, what, what are different meals? You know, I wouldn't call them recipes because I'm not, I don't consider myself a very good cook, but just, you know, here's what I threw together in five minutes. And so let's say I post a picture of a sandwich and then the comments, it'll be, well, would it be okay if I used this type of bread instead? Or would it be okay if I did this? There's so many questions about, is it good if I do this other thing or is it okay? And just, I respond to those comments of, you know, this is, you can, yes, you know, like absolutely. But it's just so sad to me of how we have gotten this very narrow view of oh, you know, there's this recipe and so I have to follow it exactly. I can't break out of it. Just the trust. We've lost the trust in ourselves and that we can just decide what works for us. And I think what you said is so important about enjoying food. I have so many clients who will say, I don't like kale. I'm like, then never eat kale. You never have to eat it. And they'll say, well, I thought it was the superfood. It's like, no, there's the same nutrients and other things. Just eat what you like, or it's never going to be sustainable for you. If you're, and you're probably going to end up wasting a bunch of money because it's going to sit in your fridge and rot. So I've heard before, kind of the exercise you like to do or the movement you like to do is the best. 
the vegetables you like to eat are the best, right? They're all going to provide nutritional value. So just lean into what you like and it's just become so much easier. Yeah. It's, it's sort of fighting culture. Yeah. That I mean, food, food shows and um, rights and wrongs. And uh, it's, it, it, it's hard for people who are easily swayed um, and for a very, who are not comfortable. They want approval from others and they want to be like others as opposed to carving their own path. I was with a bunch of um, college friends um, oh, years ago. We had reunions every once in a while. And uh, I could not, they're sitting around the table and my friend in Atlanta, she, she's a great cook, and, and they're eating. And as they're eating, you're saying, like, well, I really shouldn't be eating this, and I don't want to be eating this. And I was getting antsy. And um, I said, do you have any exercise equipment here? I dragged out some old, I don't even know what they call it. I, don't, I can't even remember the name of it. And I put on CNN, and I cleaned it all up, and I, I did it, and I came back. There they were. They were still talking about the food and complaining that they weren't eating it. But, um, it it's the and So I, I didn't want to say why, but, you know, I felt that they, they were thinking there was something wrong with me. And I just, I, I didn't want to do that to food. I didn't want to do it to my body. And it was painful to watch. It was yeah. just painful. Um, so I, I, that said, because you need to sometimes be different. So everybody else wants to eat this. Or so they all want to go exercise and you want to read a book. Get mm -hmm. rid of these damn right and wrong, good and bad. Mm -hmm. So it takes tremendous courage. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, we see benefits of something like strength training. So important in life, especially as we age. But I had a client the other day who was in one of their busiest weeks, they were saying really they were very stressed and it was a very, very trying time for them. And they were saying, I know I need to add strength training. And I said, whoa, let's just pause. Like you're actually going to be stressing out your body more by adding strength training. So maybe you should just sleep or lay on the couch, you know, binge a TV show, like something that could be equally as beneficial as the strength training right now, like adding more stress to your body in a stressful week is not necessarily going to be the best course of action. And then they said, Oh my gosh, I didn't know that was allowed type of thing. Like that, I didn't have to do strength training and I could just go to bed. And I mean, it's just, I guess you get, you practice kind of tuning into your body and knowing when to introduce new things when it's time, when it's not, but I think it is something you practice, right? And so if somebody's listening to this, it doesn't happen overnight. Said the magic words, tune in. It's to what? what? Tuned in. Oh, tuned in, it's yeah. What your body yeah. wants. Um, yeah. It doesn't get any simpler than that. And, you know, I grew up well before social media. Yeah, I did have, I did have uh, TV. I'm 75. Um, you know, um, and but you didn't get this constant barrage of what to do. If there were, you know, there were diet books, but I, I didn't know anybody who read them. You know, there were some written then um, and, and exercise. Um, I can't remember the guy who used to be on TV. 
Um, but he just didn't think and talk about food a lot. I mean, now people are eating breakfast and they're talking about what they're going to have for lunch. And at lunch, they're talking about dinner. Dinner and dinner. That um, our lives would be better if they didn't revolve around. Hmm. Just enjoyed it, nourished ourselves. We had more to our lives. Our, our lives are missing so much. Mm-hmm. And if they're missing joy because people are adding on, as you say, the other stuff. So I say do, do more mindlessness. Yeah. Not mindful. <laughs> More mindless, joy, go un, um, Janine Watt used to say, you need to go unconscious. Mm. Oh, like you, as a kid, you roll down the hill. You didn't care who was watching. Mm-mm. So um, many people eat just because they don't have enough joy and happiness in their lives. And that's mm. sad. Mm-hmm. So it's put down the food and go out and find it, scary as that is. That's where you're going to find your bliss. Yeah. One of the final questions I ask each of my guests is, in your opinion, what does it mean to make the health investment? Maybe it's some of what you've already said. (laughs) So for others to make it or for me to make it? Either any way you even want to take it. Yeah. um, Be first. Hmm. Which comes down to self-care, which is not selfish, but a lot of people feel it is. It, uh, you know, my body, my mind, I'm the caretaker. That's it. Can't give it to somebody else to take care of. Um, and to enjoy that and feel proud of it. Hmm. There it is on pride. So the investment would be take care of yourself and be proud of it. Hmm. Where can listeners follow and find you and buy your books? I know you have several. Eight books, yeah. Eight, wow. Yeah. Um, they're on Amazon. They're on Barnes & Noble. Um, and um, two of them are for uh, professionals. Yeah, two of them. Um, and um, I have a website, www.karenrkanig.com. Com. That's K-O-E-N-I-G. Um, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, for now, I'm on Twitter. I don't know if yeah. that I would stay. Uh, YouTube. There's some YouTube video. Oh, wow. Um, and people can go to my website and sign up for my blogs and then just get them twice a week. Oh, cool. Good yeah. for you. Wow. Writing two blogs a week. That's a commitment. Yeah. Well, um, I have more ideas than time, actually. Wow. Um, so as long as I keep thinking of them, um, I'm happy to do it and spread the word. That's fantastic. And yeah. as you mentioned, didn't you You have over 1,700 blog posts at this point? So yeah. I will yeah. definitely link to your website. And then, you know, I'm sure everybody's going to yeah. want to connect with you offline, but and then read your blog as well. It's fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. And I learned so much. I was kind of jotting notes as we were going along of all these light bulb moments I was having myself. So truly, truly appreciate you being here, Karen. Well, thank you. And thank you for your very excellent, thoughtful questions. I appreciate that. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. 
See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.